Thank you, Pastor. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we come to your presence in the name of your son, Jesus, who died for us upon the cross, taking upon himself our sins and our diseases. I ask you, Father, this morning that you would let your word go forth with power and touch our lives, touch our hearts. Thank you, Father. Let your will be done in our lives. Do your work in our lives. Heal those that are sick. Do miracles, Father, in this place, both this morning and in the evening. And Lord, for everything you do, we give you all the glory, all the honor, and the praise because you alone are worthy. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, I'm greatly honored to be here after two and a half years of COVID. But uh, it's been an interesting time because when COVID came, nobody was expecting it. You know, it was like another one of those diseases. And then suddenly it came in such an overwhelming way. It changed a lot of things. But you know, people whose, whose hearts are full of the word, who are full of faith, will always survive and win and overcome and go through anything. Never forget that, that you have made it. And you are in church this Sunday morning. Praise God. That in itself is a testimony that we are all here Praise God. And another great victory for us was that when we flew here for the first time in two and a half years, we didn't have to wear a mask on the plane. Praise God for that. And on the, uh, and on the 20, uh, 27th, which is really on Wednesday, I'm flying to Africa. And the last time I flew there, I wore my mask for 32 hours. And now it's an even longer flight. I think it's like 36, 37 hours, and I'll be flying without a mask, which is fantastic. Praise God. It's a great feeling. Amen? But we are still alive. We are still preaching the gospel, and God is good to us. Amen? Uh, I want to thank you for your kind and generous offering uh, for Ukraine. You know, I have preached all over Ukraine, done crusades there. And I have friends there. And what we are doing, we are working with, uh, with some pastors inside Ukraine. We have sent some, some money to uh, some people in Sweden. There's two groups of people in Sweden who are doing some work with Ukrainian refugees in Poland. You know, people who escaped to Poland and are helping them. But uh, what I found out that um, most of the aid that is going in is actually going to people Ukrainians outside Ukraine in Poland and other in Hungary who are being helped. But we wanted to help people inside Ukraine in the war zone. So I'm working with uh, three pastors right now. Two of them have uh, the biggest churches in Ukraine and these men are incredibly brave. One of them uh, who I'm very close to is from Zimbabwe and he went to Ukraine to study aeronautical engineering about 40 years ago. And uh, there he got saved and baptized with the Holy Spirit and he stayed on and he pastors one of the biggest churches there. And he has uh, churches all over the country and, you know, I mean, he's right in the war zone with the bombing and the shelling going on and he refuses to leave. He says, as long as I have people here, I'm not going anywhere. And he's helping people, uh, feeding those in need. Preaching on the streets, you know, there's shelling going on. Every time there's a lull or a break in the bombing and the shelling, that's when people come out of the shelters. And he's out there preaching on the streets, witnessing to people. 
distributing food. So, uh, I mean, these people are my real heroes. Then there's um, another pastor in an even worse place, Kharkiv, which is close to where the most intense fighting is going on right now. He has been busy evacuating people, so we even bought him a, a small bus to transport people out of the war zones because there's a lot of women and children. He's helping them escape, get, you know, get away to safer places. Then there's another pastor, an Assemblies of God pastor, in, uh, in the safer zone, which is like there's not as much fighting there. They've had a few missile strikes there, but it's Western Ukraine kind of safer. And, but from there, he's sending teams into the war zones, really risking their lives, going into the war zones, evacuating people, taking food to people. And so uh, we have sent, I think we have sent out about $157,000 or something like that so far. And we are, we are going to send more as money comes in, we'll be sending out. And uh, one thing we decided to do is to, uh, you know, when you send money through these international humanitarian organizations, they have a lot of overheads. You know, you send money and only part of it goes to those in need because they have a lot of expenses. But we don't have any expenses. These pastors don't. So we send the money directly to pastors and they know how to procure the uh, food and the supplies and medical supplies, everything they need, and take it directly to the people in need. So thank you very much for standing with us, for helping us. Really appreciate that. Amen. And, you know, when uh, COVID first started, uh, I mean, I couldn't, everything was shut down. For me, I couldn't go to Africa. I do my crusades in Africa. Everything was shut down. So I said, Lord, what should I do? And the Lord said, well, start teaching them like you taught in Bible school. And about 39 years ago, believe it or not, I taught full-time at the biggest Bible college in Europe. So I began to teach, and every day, and I began to put it on YouTube. So I did a complete YouTube Bible school for um, uh, every day, seven days a week. I went on for months and months and months. So I, all, I have that as a resource and, you know, up on YouTube, also, also up on podcast. I've got subjects like realities of redemption, on healing, gifts of the Holy Spirit. And uh, when, I, when I teach on healing, I also deal with things with how to how to help people, uh, you know, who have got really difficult cases and what to do when people die, when people don't get healed, what to do, and, and things like that. So, uh, you know, gifts of the Holy Spirit, person and work of the Holy Spirit on healing, realities of redemption. I've done a whole bunch of different ser- uh, subjects. So if you go to YouTube and just, just write my name, Christopher Alam, it'll all come up and it's all free of charge. Uh, people, people are using it as a resource all over the world. So we did that. Then God told me to start feeding uh, pastors in Africa because there was a lot of hunger. People were dying because, you know, in third world countries, they don't have online church. They don't have online giving. Churches had no income. So we had pastors and their families who were starving. And uh, then in India, you know, they needed uh, uh, oxygen respirators. There were no oxygen. People were dying in hospitals. So all this came up. And the Lord said, you know, I said, Lord, the needs are so big. I mean, suddenly all this comes, comes up at one time. And the Lord said, well, if you all do our best, we can help people. So praise God. Uh, God's people really stood up with us. Churches supported us. And we could send out a total of over $450,000 worth of food and 
you know, oxygen respirators. So it has been a good thing to do. Uh, and then last year, uh, I said, you know, this is enough. One year of this is enough. So I started going to, I found out there was one country in Africa where I could do crusades, and that was Tanzania. So we did 10 crusades last year in Africa. And now I'm going back to Africa right now, as I said, on Wednesday. So it's, it's good, you know. I mean, I'm not complaining. I really have nothing to complain about because God has been good to us. God has been faithful. He has given us things to do. And although the things we have done are not the usual things that we are used to doing, but we are grateful that the Lord has given us so much to do. Praise God. Now, I want to show you some pictures. Um, you know, my main field has always been Africa. We do eight gospel crusades in Africa every year. But a few years ago, the Lord opened another door for us in a country in Asia where I, because this is going out on live stream, right, Pastor? So I'm not going to tell where this is, but there's a country where there's a lot of persecution of Christians. And this, this place, this crowd, you see, this is in a place where there's only 1% Christian. And when I say 1% Christian, that's nominal Christians, you know, Catholics and Presbyterians and everybody. So this is the altar call on the final night, one of those towns. And the next picture is uh, yet another town where, you know, altar call on the final night, the third picture. This is yet another area in the same region. It's a, a large region with millions of people. Then the next one is this is yet another crusade. So you can see people are coming to hear the gospel. The only thing is that there are very few churches there. There's only one Pentecostal church in the entire region. So we are actually, I was talking to my team last night, we're going to start a church planting school so we can plant churches in this area because, you know, with things like this, when people like this, you know, come out like this to hear the gospel, we must plant churches. And to do that, we must train pastors. So we are doing that. Okay, the next picture. Uh, this is my team, my local team. And the next picture is this. There's a few, few pictures of miracles. This was... This uh, little boy was born deaf and mute. It's self-explanatory, the caption there. He began to hear and to speak. And the next picture, this is a little girl about 13 years old. She was also born deaf and mute and began to hear and to speak after the Lord touched her. And the next one, this, now this is interesting. This girl, her kidneys had shut down and she was basically dying. She needed a transplant, but there's no hospitals in that area that can do this. And her eyesight was gone. She couldn't see anything. Her limbs were swollen. Her family had brought her to uh, the crusade. And there, when she was in the crowd, the Lord touched her. And in, in an instant, her limbs, her limbs went down to normal size, and she received her sight. And she came and shared with us what the Lord had done for her. Praise God. Thank you for your enthusiasm. The next picture, please. Uh, this is This is a... This is a little, a little child born totally paralyzed, never walked before. She gets up and walks for the first time in her life. And the next one is, now this is interesting. This lady, for a long time, she was, uh, she, I mean, she was alive, except she was like a vegetable, you know. She couldn't, uh, you, you couldn't talk to her, she couldn't respond, and she couldn't hear, she couldn't see, she couldn't move. And the only sign of Lyme was that her, 
life was that her heart was still beating. Otherwise, she was like dead. They brought her in a car and they parked the car on the side of the field. And when I began to pray for the people, uh, she suddenly, I saw the car door open and she came out of the car and she began to walk. And then she came up and she was so excited. She said, I can see, I can walk, I can hear. And, you know, she could speak. And there was, you see the man behind her? The gray-haired man with his hand up in the air. He was jumping up and down and screaming. So he was kind of getting on my nerves. So I said, who are you? I, she said, I'm her pastor. I'm her pastor. Now, that area, there were very few Christians. But he, he was her pastor. And he, he was pastor of a church. You know, one of those really fundamentalist Baptist churches where they don't believe anything, you know. Basically, so anyway, so he was excited and he began to say that this woman is, my, is in my church and this is what she was like and this is what God has done for her. So that, that was a wonderful miracle there. And then in the next picture, uh, this is a young man. He was demon possessed and this is an unusual kind of demon possession is that his memory, his mind was completely erased. He didn't know his own name. He didn't recognize anybody. Couldn't hear. Couldn't speak. Uh, he, he, I mean, he didn't know anything. And suddenly, uh, the Lord touched him in, when he was in the crowd, and everything came back to him, and he was normal again. So, and the next picture is this is a uh, blind woman received a sight. We saw, we see hundreds of miracles like this in the Crusades. It's been amazing. But the reason I put up this picture is, if you see the gentleman on the left. With the microphone, my interpreter, he's actually a Roman Catholic priest. And these Catholics are really helping us. I mean, uh, we have got Catholic priests who said, Pastor, just come. This area needs Jesus. You come and preach the gospel, plant your Pentecostal churches, we will help you. So there's absolutely no opposition or competition from them. They are actually helping us plant churches, the Catholics, because they have a, they have a big humanitarian type of work in that area. But anyway, let's go to the first chapter of the book of Acts. You all ready? Yes. Praise God. Praise God. So, I want to start reading from verse number 4. And it said, uh, And these are the last words that Jesus spoke when he was on this earth before he ascended up to heaven. It says, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Amen. So we know that these were the last words that Jesus spoke before he was taken up to heaven. Because when he finished saying these things, he was received up into heaven. So now, let us go back to verse 4. So Jesus is assembled with his disciples. And this is interesting. It says, he commanded them. 
He didn't request them or offer it as an option, but he commanded them that they should not leave Jerusalem, but they should wait for the promise of the Father, which is, he says, for John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. In other words, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues is not an option offered to us. It is a commandment from Jesus. To be baptized with the Holy Ghost, with the speaking of other tongues, is a direct command given to the church by the Lord Jesus and not given to us as a take it or leave it option. Do you see that in the scripture? It says he commanded them not to go anywhere, but to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, the interesting thing is the response of the disciples. He says, when they therefore were come together, this is in verse 6, they asked of him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? You know, I used to read this and I always used to wonder, this kind of, you know, it used to leave me befuddled. Jesus is talking about them receiving the Holy Spirit and they, their response is, is that when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? What does this have to do with the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And I didn't understand this and, uh, you know, where they were coming from, their frame of reference in saying this, until I began to study some history. And I found some interesting facts. One is that, to give you a background, the people of Israel, they were a proud nation. They knew that they were God's people. They knew that God had a covenant with them. And, you know, all the laws of God were given through Israel. All the prophets who prophesied, they were from Israel. And they had a unique place in God's plan. Plus, they had their own kingdom. They had their own laws. They had their own king. So, you know, they had, they, they had their thing going. But when Jesus came into the scene, uh, the people of Israel had lost their kingdom and they had been under foreign occupation for close to four centuries. Now imagine that. For almost 400 years, the nation of Israel had been without their kingdom and without their king. And they had been under foreign occupation. Now the first foreign power to occupy them were the Babylonians. And then after the Babylonians came the Greeks. And the Greeks, uh, you know, wherever they went, they used to leave a strong linguistic and cultural footprint behind. To the point, just imagine, that when the first books of the New Testament were written, the Greeks had already been gone for over a hundred years. And Hebrew was the religious language of the Jewish people. Plus Aramaic was the language they spoke at home. Yet when they, read down, when they wrote down the books of the New Testament, they began to write them in classical Greek. Because this was the Hellenic, you know, the Greek influence upon the Israelites. So anyway, after the Greeks came the Romans. And the Romans were exceptionally brutal in the way they ruled Israel, you know, the, the Holy Land. And that was the time when Jesus came into the scene. These people had been under occupation for close to four centuries. Now, during these four centuries, there had been many, many uprisings. Up, many. In fact, 
the two most famous uh, um, of those who did, who, who, raised, who rose up against the Romans, one was a man called Judas Maccabeus. And his name is still, he's like a, considered a folk hero in Israel. Even today, there's stadiums and roads and buildings named after Judas Maccabeus. And Judas Maccabeus, he led, an, he led one of the uprisings against the Greeks. And he managed to uh, kind of liberate a small chunk of territory. And he started a Jewish kingdom there known as the Hasmonean kingdom. But that lasted a few decades. And when the Romans came, they took that away also. The other was a slave rebellion led by a man called Spartacus. And there was a movie made on Spartacus. But anyway, there were many, many of these uprisings uh, against these occupiers. And so during this, these years, during these centuries and all the uprisings, the Jews had developed a mindset um, in which they tended to interpret scriptures through the prism of their circumstances. Right. And we, we do that in America too, right. especially around election time. Yes. We think, oh my goodness, the whole world is coming to an end if this party gets elected and we must do something here, you know. And, and, and so, but that's a tendency, believe me. It's not unique to our country. You'll find it everywhere because that's a human failing. That's a human frailty. Everybody does that because they think that what they're going through is really the biggest thing that's happening. Uh, I mean, you think of what is happening in Ukraine today, and we think that, you know, my microwave oven stopped working. That's the biggest thing on earth right now. And, and you know, and you got, you, you know what I'm saying? People tend to interpret God's plan and the scriptures through the prism of their own experiences. So, and that's what the Israelites did. So for them, the Messiah, they interpreted the messianic scriptures, the, the scriptures that talk about the, the Messiah as if the Messiah would be some kind of strong man, a military leader who would throw the Romans out and establish the kingdom again. And that's what they believed. So they they were looking for uh, the new um, leader, the man who would lead the next uprising, the new Messiah. And into this scene <coughs> came Jesus. And Jesus, I mean, he, he really fit their expectations. Because there were two things about Jesus that were striking. The first thing was that he spoke and nobody had ever spoken. His words gripped hold of people's hearts with conviction and people used to sit and listen to him as he spoke. Once they sent the, uh, you know, the Pharisees sent some soldiers to arrest Jesus, but they came back empty handed. They said, how could we arrest him? Because nobody had ever spoken like him. Now, the other thing that was unique about Jesus was that Jesus had miracles. I mean, things like they had never seen before. The lame walked, the blind saw, the dead were raised up. So people were getting more and more convinced that he was the man. In fact, there, was a, there were many different, move, um, you know, many different movements through uh, Jewish society those days. And one of them was a group called the Zealots. And these were the ones who wanted to uh, hold an armed rebellion against the Romans. And if you remember, one of the zealots, Simon the zealot, was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. So we see when Jesus performed this great miracle that we know as the feeding of the 5,000, uh, after that miracle took place, they wanted to make him their king by force. Do you remember that? 
They wanted to make Jesus their king, make him their leader by force. And they, but he was not interested. Not only was he not interested, he seemed to be totally oblivious to what his own nation was going through. Throughout those three and a half years of ministry, all his preaching, everything he did, he went all over the place. He never made one single political statement against the Romans, if you, if you notice. The only time he ever came close to making a political statement was when, you know, one of the big hot potato issues was taxation because the Romans' uh, taxation system was pure extortion. And they said, okay, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus gave an amazing answer. He says, show me a coin. And they gave him a coin, took the coin. He says, whose picture is on this coin? Caesar. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And give to God what is God's. And he never made a single political statement. I can imagine the frustration of those people. And they were wondering, why doesn't he see this? What's going on? Is he so oblivious to what is happening around him? But Jesus, he talked about another world. He talked about heaven. He talked about the kingdom of heaven. He talked about the kingdom of God. And and, and in fact, when they said, teach us to pray... He said, okay, pray, God, that your will be done as it is done in heaven. Everything that was his reference point was not here, but it was heaven. And they, but they still followed him around, hoping that one day he would finally get the plot and he would get to the program. But what does Jesus do? He goes and dies upon the cross. And when he died, their dreams also died with him. But Jesus made the ultimate comeback. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. And when he rose again, their dreams were also resurrected with him. And they followed him again. They followed him around. But the Bible says for 40 days, he talked about things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And now comes the last day. And he calls them together. He says, okay, boys, come together. I want to tell you something. And he says, listen, don't go anywhere, but wait in Jerusalem until you receive That which the Father has promised. Because John baptized you with water. But in a few days you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they thought this was their cue. And that's why they said. Oh is that when you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel. And he dashed their hopes to the ground for the last time by saying. It's not for you to know. The plans. And the program that the Father has put together. But the Holy Ghost is soon going to come upon you. Now, who is this Holy Ghost who is going to come upon them? Now, we all know this much. I mean, foundationally, fundamentally, we know that there is one God. But he has revealed himself as three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, but most people think that the father is this angry old man with a big beard, with a permanent frown on his forehead because he's fed up of us and our antics. But then we have Jesus, who's the nice guy. He's always pleading with the father for us, telling the father to cool it. You know, it's okay. I, I can vouch for them. So that's why, you know, we preach about you know, sermons like sinners in the hands of an angry God. 
But then Jesus, you have songs like, yes, Jesus loves me. You know, Jesus is the one who's very benign. He loves everybody. He's never angry at anybody. Then we have the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost, he's this influence who just floats around. And sometimes he shows up in church. And when he shows up in church, everybody goes crazy. Oh, do you feel that? And then we go home, we say, oh, we had a move of the Holy Ghost this morning. I hope he comes back next Sunday. And we hope he shows up again. But, but you see, the truth is that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are the one and the same. It's one God revealed in three persons. They are the same. The Holy Ghost is as much God as the Father and the Son. But here's the difference. The Father is in heaven. Jesus is at his right hand side. Jesus is the one who came here, died, rose again, ascended back to heaven. And he's at the right hand of the Father. But the Holy Ghost is the person of the Trinity who's here. The Father and the Son are in heaven, but the Holy Ghost is here. In fact, everything that the Father and the Son say or do in your life or here on this earth is through the Holy Ghost. And that is why our personal relationship and the relationship of our church with the Holy Ghost are, are of utmost importance. Because the Holy Ghost is here. We cannot ignore him. We must give him room. Are you with me? So that's what Jesus said. He says the Holy Ghost is going to come. Which was a very revolutionary thought for the Jewish mind. Because in the Jewish mind, God was somebody so distant. He was so much higher than us that we were not even allowed to Say his name like we say, oh, God's name is Yahweh. A Jew would never say that name Yahweh because God's name is too holy to be pronounced by human lips. That's the difference between God and man. But Jesus said the Holy Ghost shall come and not only shall he come, but he shall come upon you. Now, the Holy Ghost has been here for 2000 years and I want to challenge you and ask you, has the Holy Ghost come upon you? And if he has come upon you, what is the depth of your surrender to him? How much of your life, your purposes, that which makes you tick, that makes you, you, how much of it have you surrendered to him? So it's not a question of how much of the Holy Ghost I have, but it's a question of how much of me does the Holy Ghost have? That is the challenge. And it's an ongoing thing. You see, this thing with the Holy Ghost isn't a one-time experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But after that, there's subsequent infillings. When Paul says, be ye filled with the Holy Ghost, he talks about a continual infilling with the Holy Ghost. It's an ongoing process in our lives, but it can only happen as we surrender to him more and more. So Jesus says, when the Holy Ghost shall come upon you, the first thing that shall happen is that you shall receive power. And that word power is the Greek word dynamis, which is miracle working power. Or you can, in today's colloquial language, it's brute force. The brute force of the Spirit of God. It is the same 
word, the same word dunamis is used in Mark chapter 5. If you remember when the woman with the issue of blood came up from behind and touched the garment of Jesus. You remember that? And, and Jesus said that somebody touched me because I felt virtue flow from me. That word virtue or power, what Jesus was telling them was that the same substance, that, that divine substance that flowed from me and healed that woman when she touched me, that very same divine substance shall flow from you when you receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, if we have been baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire, we have received power. Amen. Amen. But the question is, it comes down to what do you do with it? Firstly, you have to recognize it. And secondly, you have to do something with it. Because it won't do any good to anybody unless you do something with it. And you can only use that by faith. When I, when I got baptized with the Holy Spirit and I saw in Mark chapter 15 when he says these signs, shall, these signs shall follow them that believe. You know what I did? I started looking for sick people to lay my hands on. I did that. And I was quite a nuisance because I used to be on the streets laying my hands on total strangers whether they wanted to or not. Crutches were like a magnet to me. I would yank crutches from total strangers. Thank God in Sweden we don't have this whole system of lawsuits that we have in America. America is a very litigious society. People sue each other for no reason. In Sweden we don't hear of such things, you know. So I could do things like that and get away with it. But the reward of it was that people were healed. People were healed. See, you shall receive power. That is the promise of God. And so you have to remember one thing, that your expectations must rise to the level of God's promises. If you want to see miracles in your life, your expectations must be at the same level as God's promises. If God's promises are here, but your expectations are here, and you're living here, You will never see what God has promised. Your expectations have to rise to the level of God's promises. He said, you shall receive power. Everybody said power. Power. You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost shall come upon you. And then it tells you why you shall receive power. So that you can be my witnesses. A witness is somebody who can give evidence in court. A witness is somebody who can prove to people that this Jesus of Nazareth we are talking about is not dead. He's not a figment of somebody's religious uh, imagination, but he is real and that he is alive today. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I remember many, you know, a couple of, just before COVID, the last time I was in Sweden before COVID, I was in a shopping center and I heard a voice behind me saying, Brother Christopher. And I looked behind me and he was this man standing and I said, uh, I said, excuse me, do I know you? He says, oh, Brother Christopher, I'm Kusro. And then I suddenly remembered he was this Iranian guy. I had met him like 40 years ago. 
And it was, he was living in the student housing uh, in Uppsala, uh, you know, this town in Sweden where we lived. And, and I, I used to go from door to door witnessing to people. And I remember talking to this guy uh, about Jesus. You know, he was so smart. Have you ever met somebody smarter than you? You know, you think you're smart, then you run into somebody smart. He talked circles around me. So after about 20, 30 minutes, I was actually looking for an exit strategy, how I could leave him with my pride still intact, you know, because I, he talked circles around me until, until I saw there was something wrong with him. I said, what's wrong with your legs? He said, I can't walk. I'm crippled. I was born with this condition. Begin to explain to me. Doctors in Sweden are going to operate on me. And I said, oh. I said, I saw my opportunity and I pounced. You must take those opportunities. I said, if I lay hands on you and God heals you, will you believe in Jesus? He said, of course. I laid hands on him and uh, I left him. And a week later, I heard from somebody else that he was now walking. He was healed. And it was this guy I was meeting in the shopping center. I said, oh, brother, yes, I remember you. I said, what are you doing these days? He said, you know, I got saved and I've been serving Jesus all these years. And he told me about this church. He said, I'm in the leadership of that church. And my son is also serving God. My whole family is serving God. And I thought, how wonderful. Because of one miracle, God changed his life. And that is what it means to be a witness. We... We witness, we give evidence to people that Jesus Christ is alive. The greatest evidence is, of course, your life that is changed. People who know you from your past, they see your life has changed. And you can say, you see, you knew me before, you know me now. And only Jesus could do this and Jesus has done it. And what he has done for me, he will do for you. The other way you can give evidence of the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus is alive, is through miracles. Anyway, so you shall be my witnesses. Then it tells us where we shall be witnesses. He says the first is in Jerusalem. That was their home turf. That was their hometown where everybody knew everybody else. Then he said Judea. Judea was the greatest, greater territory where the Jewish people lived. Then he said... And in Samaria. Now then it gets interesting. But Samaritans, these were people who had another religion. They worshipped other gods, you can say. Well, they claimed to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the woman, the Samaritan woman said to Jesus, Why are you even talking to me? I mean, my people, your people have nothing to do with one another. We worship on this mountain. You worship in Jerusalem. These, these are people who didn't like the Jews and the Jews didn't like them. But we are called to be witnesses of Jesus to the Samaritans. And who are the Samaritans of today? Can I be blunt with you? Well, here in America is the Muslims. Now it's getting quiet here. You could hear a pin drop. But most people don't like Muslims. You know why? Because they listen to the motor mouths in their talk shows and radio and TV. Because they themselves have never encountered or talked to a Muslim like a human being. Except what you hear these motor mouths say, what you read or hear on the media. But I just want to tell you something. Those people are not our enemies. 
Those are people who are loved by God who Jesus died for. How do I know that? Well, here I stand. I used to be one of them. I did the whole jihad thing when I was 17 years old. Don't look at me funny now. Oh my goodness, I didn't know that, but it's true. I did the whole jihad thing. I believed in going to heaven and all that, you know. I, listen, but why am I standing here preaching the word of God to you today? Because there was an Englishman called Keith Frampton who chose not to hate people like me. He went to where I was and he believed God that he would lead somebody to Jesus who would preach the gospel. And he handed me a gospel tract and here I stand today. If you hate those people, because you see, There's power in the words of your mouth. If you hate those people and call them your enemies, that's what you will have. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, overcome evil with good. That is the gospel. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That is the gospel. A lot of what you hear, even said by Christians, just because it is said by Christians, it's not the gospel. The gospel is good news. The gospel is good news for Muslims that they can be saved. (coughs) Are you with me? Amen. In Samaria, then he said to the uttermost parts of the earth. I mean, that's places far away. Far, far away. Uttermost parts of the earth. I remember one place I went to. Uh, when I was in Indonesia, one morning the pastor says, Brother, tomorrow we are going to this place, you know, Irian Jaya. He said, I'd heard of Irian Jaya, but I didn't know what it was like. He said, we call it the uttermost parts of the earth. And it was six hours. You know, can you imagine? You, you get on a plane in Jakarta, the capital city. You fly six or seven hours and you're still in Indonesia. And this is the far eastern part of Indonesia, Irian Jaya. He says, it's all jungle. He began to explain to me, it's all jungle here. There's no roads in the interior. You're going to fly to different places. And then he began to tell me, uh, we are going to do a three-day three crusade there. Then he began to tell me, he said, you know, those people don't wear any clothes. They walk around naked. Naked? I said, well, how do they protect themselves from mosquitoes, you know? You know, I'm very practical. And, you know, <laughs> you know, he said, well, what they do is they, they cover themselves in raw pig fat. And the pig fat, the smell of the pig fat keeps the mosquitoes away. Very ingenious, but smelly. <laughs> then he said to me, in the interior, they're cannibals. Cannibals. He says, I said, well, why are you taking me there? He says... He says, no, no, you don't have to worry. They eat only white people. I said, hallelujah. Suddenly, somebody realizes that brown lives matter. Can you imagine? I sense, I've always said, white people, the other white meat, you know. Anyway, so, so we landed at this little airport 
And I'm standing there and this guy walks in stark naked. He's wearing nothing except for a pair of Ray-Ban sunglasses. <laughs> and a blue New York Yankees baseball cap. And I said to the pastor, American culture has reached here before the gospel. Next guy we saw was walking around drinking a Diet Coke, naked. Anyway. But there's another part, uttermost parts of the earth that I went to, which is now known as Myanmar. You've heard of it as, as Burma. And I remember when I first went to Burma, nobody went there, military dictatorship, Buddhism, the country was closed for decades. But uh, uh, when I was a little kid, God, God spoke to me. I actually went there once. We went on a wild elephant hunt. My dad took me on this elephant hunt when I was a little kid. And anyway, another story, but when we crossed into Burma, we drove two days through the jungle. And when we reached there, I heard a voice say to me, one day you'll be back here and, and you're going to do some big things here. You know, and I didn't know what it was. I was just a little Muslim kid, seven years old. But 40 years later, I was in, in Burma. So I am in Burma. I come to Rangoon and I remember that voice and I knew I'm here with a purpose. And we did, a, we did like an indoor crusade, indoor meeting. We had several thousand people there in the meetings and people were safe, people were healed. We had, it was a good meeting. But then immediately after that, persecution broke out. The army came, Burmese army came, arrested pastors, tortured them, beat them. It was very bad. And they told me, Pastor, we want you back, but please wait a year. So I came back after a year. And uh, I was praying in a, in a service. It was in a service. I was praying and suddenly... I saw an open vision. This had never happened before. Now, an open vision is when I'm wide awake, I'm standing here, and when I see an open vision, uh, I am seeing my reality becomes what I'm seeing in my vision, and I wouldn't be able to see you. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm wide awake, I'm seeing this vision, but what I'm seeing in the vision becomes my reality, and I don't even know you are here. I won't even see you. You can see me, but I can't see you. So I had three long open visions in five days. It has never happened to me before, and nor has, has it ever happened since. And many things, the Lord was dealing with many things. Some of those things were personal in my life. Some of those things were about ministry. But one of the things the Lord said to me, he said, I want you to come back here to Burma and start preaching the gospel and plant churches. And I said, Lord, that's a great idea. It needs to be done, but please find someone else to do it. I don't want to do it. And the Lord said, why? I said, because I like my life. I don't fancy being tortured and killed by these people. You know what? They kill people. They torture people. I said, I, I live in America. I like my life there. And I like to travel and preach where you, you know, I go wherever you send me. But I don't fancy being killed by these people. And then the Lord said, do you remember what you said to me in the summer of 1977? And I said, Lord, do you have to bring that up? <laughs> what happened? I got saved in 75. 76, I spent in prison for preaching the gospel. 77, I escaped and I ended up in Belgium. And I was in an organization called 
Operation Mobilization. Now, when you're in prison for preaching the gospel for a year and you're tortured and all those things, it, it does something to you. You, you know, you don't care for your own safety. You don't mind if you live or you die. And so I was like that. So uh, I, I became very close to Pastor George Verwer, the founder of their organization. We are still close and maintain our relationship. So Brother George gave me a book called The Calvary Road. He said, I want you to read that book. And I read that book and it was, had a huge impact on my life. And I was weeping, crying. It was about the crucified life. Then he said, I want to give you another book. And it was his book. It was called Come, Live and Die. Just the title got me. And when I read that book, I was ready to die. I said, Lord, send me anywhere where I can die. I don't mind dying preaching the gospel. So one day, George, or one evening, George was preaching. And he did kind of, he called people to the front who really wanted to dedicate their lives for the preaching of the gospel. And, you know, if you, and, and I, I, I remember, I, you know, I was just this guy. I was on fire and uh, uh, I was stateless. I was homeless. I didn't even have a country to live in. I was a refugee. I had no family, nothing, and I didn't care. I jumped from, from my seat, ran to the front, and I went on my knees, and I said words I've always regretted. I said, Jesus, send me wherever you want me to go. I'm ready to die. I'm willing to die. In fact, send me someplace where I can die preaching the gospel. And if you can't use me, kill me. And, and I felt good at that moment. It was good until I went to Sweden and I met Britta. And we got married and we had kids. And that's when I began to regret those things I had said. And now the Lord was saying, I want you to go to Burma. I said, Lord, and I, I, don't, you know, I don't want to do this. And he said, well, do you remember what you said in the summer of 77? And I said, Lord, you know, when you're young, when we are young, we say a lot of foolish things. I mean, come on, you know, you should you know, take, get me off the hook for this one. I mean, we, we all, I've done stupid things. I mean, you know, uh, and uh, I, I was thinking of my family and, and the Lord said, well, you always preach and tell people to hold me to my word. Why can't I hold you to your word? I said, okay, okay, fine. I said, fine, you, you win. I'm, I'll go. I'll go if you want me to die. If that's what you want, I'm, I'll go. I'm going. So, so I, I said, I'll go. But I said, only on one condition. There's one caveat. The Holy Ghost goes with me. The Holy Ghost. I said, not the Holy Ghost of the American churches, where people line up, and there's catchers behind them, and you give them a little push, that they do a courtesy fall. And then the ushers have these tablecloths. They put on the ladies' legs. I said, no. I said, that, I said, that kind of stuff is revival in America. But here in Burma, I mean, that won't cut any ice here. He, he says, here's a place where they torture you, they kill you. I said, I want the real stuff. I want the book of Acts, Holy Ghost, you know, the, the stuff in the book of Acts. And the Lord said, okay, fine. So anyway, I came back the next year. I'm doing my first crusade, preach, do the altar call. And I'm going to pray for the sick. I said, okay, I want all the sick to get up. Almost everybody stood up. And for some reason, they all congregated on, my, on, one, on the left. And they were all kind of walking past me. And I'm praying for them. And out of the corner of my eye, 
I see this man. He's wearing these striped hospital pajamas. He's got, he, look, he looked like death. He was like a skeleton, a pale skeleton with sunken eyes. There were three people propping him up. And there were a couple of people holding these bottles with IV you know, fluids and with tubes running into his arms. And I found out later that this man had been, was terminally ill. His family had brought him from the hospital. And while I'm praying for people, I'm watching this guy because I'm wondering, I've never had a person like that in my meeting before. When he suddenly slides to the floor and lays like this with his arms and legs spread out, uh, with his eyes and his mouth wide open, lifeless. And somebody shouts something in their language, and there was a group of doctors and nurses, I think about eight or ten of them, they jumped to their feet and they ran, and they began to, I don't know, do their thing, you know. They're, going to, they're working on this guy for a few minutes. Then one of the doctors, he spoke English. He looked at me. He said, Pastor, he's dead. I said, well, do something, because I know... <laughs> My wife is a nurse and we watch those medical shows and I know when somebody dies, they massage their heart, you know. And I can only do the Pentecostal massage, you know. She bababa shanda, you know, that kind of stuff. So, but they said, Pastor, he's dead. And so, and they all got up and went back to the scene, leaving this dead body. And now I'm thinking, okay, so what's going to happen now is, uh, okay, I'll pray for the sick here and then you just forget this guy, you know close the meeting and one of the ushers he actually grabbed the guy the body by the wrist and dragged him across the floor and lay him right in front of me and so now I have to do something and I had no idea what I would do because when we went to Ramah they didn't teach us this they did they in your class pastor you went second year I only went one year. okay they didn't teach that in second year also they didn't, they taught us all kinds of things at Rama, but they didn't teach us how to raise the dead. I had never seen it even being attempted. I just read it in the Bible and I, I really didn't know what to do. And then suddenly, you know, I was just thinking, Lord, what do I do? Suddenly I saw the face of Dr. Uh, Pastor Harold Groves. Pastor Harold Groves, if he was alive today, he would be over 130 years old. He was an old, old British missionary who I had met in India when he was 90 years old he had given his life to preaching the gospel in India and he 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 was uh, T.L. Osborne's like mentor and spiritual father and he knew Smith Wigglesworth and he knew F.F. Bosworth and all these great men of God and he was I mean he was a fiery Pentecostal and I suddenly saw his face and he had this he was a little guy, but he had these big hands and his long bony finger pointing at my face, saying these words, Brother Christopher, if you don't know what to do, remember that the Holy Ghost always knows. And I heard his voice and I said, okay, so the, I don't know what to do here. And the Holy Ghost knows what to do. So I did the best thing I could. I took the microphone to my face and I said, now I'm going to make a fool of myself. I, I will do the only thing that I know how to do because the Holy Ghost knows. I took the microphone in front of my mouth and I said, My interpreter came running. Little guy says, what did you say, pastor? I said, I don't have the foggiest idea, but just stay with me. 
So I launched out into speaking in tongues. And nobody left. Everybody was watching me. And the more, you know, I just got bolder and bolder. And I went around. Listen to me. If you don't know what tongues is all about, let me tell you. It's one of the most powerful weapons in your arsenal. Tongues move the spirit of God. Tongues will build up your faith. So I just spoke in tongues. Now I thought, now the cat is out of the bag. I'm going to go on and on. I just kept on. And my whole thought was, I'm going to speak in tongues and shout in tongues until something happens here. So I just went on speaking in tongues. After about maybe 20 minutes or so, I began to, I began to feel some heat rising up in my legs. And then I realized, if you want to see a miracle, you've got to pray yourself out of the ice box into the furnace. You've got to pay, pray yourself from a place of death to a place of life. You have to pray yourself from sickness to health. You go, you got to pray yourself into the fire. So I was shouting and praying in tongues. I don't know how long, and maybe 45 minutes. I don't know. I was looking at my watch and I was going on and on. And suddenly I heard the shout, hallelujah. I remember I opened my eyes and it was the dead man. He had shot up from the floor. He was standing in front of me with his hands in the air and he was praising God. You know, after that man rose up, I just knew it. I said, well, this is what I needed. From there, we went all over Burma. We did mass open-air crusades, although it was illegal. They never dared arrest me because of the miracles that God did. They were scared. They were scared. I had intelligence officers come to me, say, Pastor, please don't curse me. And I said, you better watch it, you know. <laughs> so, so, you know, during the subsequent years, we saw at least four people raised from the dead. We saw blind eyes open. Deaf, I remember a woman who had an empty socket somewhere and shot an arrow into her eye. Her eye had collapsed. She had one eye, an empty socket. God created a brand new eye. We saw lame people walk, deaf People hear, dumb people speak, miracles of all kinds. And the greatest thing was in those years, we saw, we planted 178 churches in unreached areas of Burma. During a time of intense persecution of Christians, we saw 178 churches. You know, you know what I learned from that? One thing I did not learn. I still cannot write a book on how to raise the dead. The Holy Ghost knows. You, you just go with God and God will do it. But one thing, there were a few things I learned. The first thing I learned is that Jesus Christ is still the same. Yesterday, today and forever. In Malachi, he said, I am the Lord and I change not. And that is true. Jesus Christ is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he has never, never, never changed. Hallelujah. The second thing 
that the Holy Ghost that came down on the day of Pentecost is still here today. Still here today. Still here today. Thirdly, that the word of God is still true. The word of, word of God is still true. Everything in the Bible is still for today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Nobody can change it. It is still true. God still watches over his word to perform it. Jeremiah 1.12. Fourthly. God still confirms the gospel message. With signs, wonders and miracles. And he always responds. Whenever people reach out to him. He always responds. He says call unto me and I will answer thee. And show you great and mighty things that you know not. He's still the same today. Hallelujah. We don't need to reinvent the gospel. We don't need to redo the gospel. We just need to preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Preach the word of God. And God will honor his word because he's watching over his word to perform it. Another thing I learned that Jesus is always so near to us. He's not far away. Sometimes people think that the devil is the one who is near to us. So we are always fighting devil. You're going to fight through layers of devils until you get to Jesus. No, no, no. Jesus lives in you. He's a greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. So Jesus is so close to us. When I went to Rema, there used to be a song. It says, he is, so, he is as close as the mention of his name. You speak his name. You speak his word. He's right there. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads together. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we love you. Jesus, we are so thankful. We are so grateful for what you have done for us. We honor you. We bless you. Thank you. While your head's about, I just want to ask one question since I don't know you good people. But if there's anybody in this place and you say, Pastor Christopher, I need my sins to be forgiven. Or I need to make things right with God. Or... You know, you can put it, express the same thing in many ways. I don't know whether I'm saved. If I die, I don't know whether I'm going to heaven or to hell. If you put it that way. Or I need to make things right with God. If that is the condition of your soul, then more than anything else, I want to pray with you. So if there's anybody like that, say, Pastor Christopher, I want to pray with you too. Give my life to Jesus. Make things right with God. Can I see your hand? Wherever you are, if you are here, you need to make things right with God. God bless you, sir. Anybody else? This is your opportunity. Because I don't want you laying down in your bed tonight feeling regret. God bless you, young lady. God bless you, young lady. God bless you, young lady. God bless you, young man. I don't want anyone you're laying in your bed tonight feeling regret, saying that that man came and 
shared his heart and all I did was to sit there because I was afraid of what other people would think of me. You know, it doesn't really matter what people think of you. Anybody else? God bless you, young lady. Okay, those of you, God bless you, madam. Those of you who put your hands up, could you stand to your feet? Just stand to your feet. Just stand to your feet. Nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be embarrassed. You know, I I will ask you to come to the front and I will do that because Jesus was not ashamed to carry that cross for me. Well, people mocked him and cursed him and blasphemed him. So that's why I'm asking you, if you could leave your seat and come and join me in the front. God bless you. Need to give your life to Jesus. God bless you. Please face me, face me. Stand right here. God bless you. Please make a line. God bless you, madam. God bless you, young lady. God bless you. God bless you, madam. God bless you, young lady. Anybody else? You say, Pastor Christopher, I shouldn't be sitting down where I am, but I should be standing with these good people. Anybody else? Just want to make sure. Anybody else? All right. Pastor Chris, would you come and lead them in prayer? Thank you all for making this step. God loves you so much as you've been hearing through Pastor Alam's message today. We're just going to say very short and simple prayer but you need to mean it with your heart and everybody behind you you're going to hear is going to say the same prayer as you're doing that Christ is going to begin to fill his spirit inside you Amen. and you're going to feel some love some shaking going on that's okay some tearing up he loves you so much so just pray the simple prayer this is the beginning of something mm-hmm. heavenly father Thank you so much for loving me. Thank you so much for loving me. And that making this step right now. Taking this step right now. I repent of my sins. I repent of my sins. Lord, I'm sorry that I have never had a relationship with you. Lord, I'm sorry that I've never had a relationship. And I walk into your loving arms right now. Walk into your loving arms right now. Because what your son Jesus did on the cross. Because when your son Jesus. I am made new right now. Lord, let my relationship begin with you right now. Holy Spirit, begin to speak to me. Not only now, but in the days ahead. And thank you for everything you continue to do in our life. And this is the beginning of something new. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Fantastic, guys. Big decision today. Yes. So we have a few people that just want to pray with you real quickly and get some material with you. Okay, if you came with some friends, don't worry, they'll still be here. But we're so happy. That clapping is for what we know God's done in your life and will continue to do. But you've made a big step today, and it's just the beginning. There's some folks right here that I'm going to point, and they're just going to lead you to a room. 
It's not a scary room. It's a nice litten room. They just want to meet with you and talk to you a little bit more. You didn't join a religion today. You didn't join a church. You began a relationship with Jesus. Okay? And hold that dear to your heart. Just follow Pastor Mike right there. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.